Thank you for having us on this morning. Hope you're all right and you're well. Before we do any of that, let's head to uh, Latin America, and uh, particularly Brazil, where uh, they have become the country with the third highest number of confirmed coronavirus cases now in the world. They've registered a total of more than 250,000 cases. Only America and Russia have recorded more infections. Experts say that insufficient testing might actually mean that the real figure in Brazil is around 15 times higher. Let's get into that and other stories from the region as well and speak to uh, John Bonfiglio, our man in that part of the world. John, hello there, buddy. Hey, Daryl, how are you? Yes, I'm okay, mate. How are you doing? Staying safe, I hope? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not too bad over here. Good man. Um... This this is a a, a a really disastrous picture that is unfolding in uh, Brazil. The, uh, the the president in that part of the world has dismissed it as uh, as being a flu like issue, COVID nineteen. You and I have discussed that before. Is that a line that is being stuck to in light of these startling figures? Yeah, it really is. It's amazing how he hasn't um, shifted at all from it, and much in the same way as 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 Donald Trump, he's also ordered the mass production by the military of uh, chloroquine um so he also thinks that that's uh that's something which is gonna which is gonna help out he hasn't shifted his position at, at all and as you say um it's not just i mean the figures are incredibly high there at the moment um they're probably much higher again as you've just said partly because of uh, low testing rates but also because of under reporting because a lot of hospitals are now full and sending people home so people are just sick and dying in their in their homes, and also the thing which is not reaching the news at all is the is the backlog in the testing. Uh, that's not being mentioned at all. So, the head of Sao Paulo's uh, biggest hospital, which is actually the biggest hospital in Latin America, a few days ago said even the figures that are coming through now are, and I quote, a picture of the past. Unquote. Uh, we're basically now getting a sense of what happened in Brazil a few weeks ago, and there's still a backlog of tens of thousands of tests to come to light. So on the one hand, you've got absolutely a public health crisis happening now um, with a deep, deep worry from everybody there as to what, where this is going to lead to in, in the future. And in fact, uh, Bolsonaro has lost two health ministers over the course of the last month. And uh, the one that was sacked a month ago is now very, is getting now going very public with his criticisms of, of the administration. And he's saying that the next three months are going to be horrific. And he thinks that the levels, the numbers of dead are going to reach 150,000 by the end of this. And of course, in the middle of this is Bolsonaro uh, with a with a huge political crisis in the country, not just because of coronavirus, but also because he's being investigated by the um, by the country's chief attorney and the Supreme Court. So a country in crisis without a shadow of a doubt. It's hard to know what you would make of that as a resident of Brazil, not just that political turmoil that Bolsonaro is going through, but also his advice uh, and, and, and him essentially being in a political tussle with uh, one of his health ministers, or two of his health ministers, as you say, have now, have now departed post. What are the people doing? How are the, how are the people of Brazil responding to this? I mean, it's a really big country. It's, it's uh, Latin America's biggest economy. And of course, you've got, you know, the most um, urbanite, uh, modern international global cities like Sao Paulo through to um, jungle rainforest some of the most remote places in the world so it's difficult to say what specifically is happening or how people are reacting in any specific you know one case fits all sense mm. and also worth saying Bolsonaro still d does have a lot of supporters I mean there are thousands of people going outside the presidential palace um, on a Sunday, demanding for the end of uh, of lockdown and and restrictions and so on, and he's regularly going out 
and greeting all these people and, and having selfies taken with them. The, 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 the other end of that scale is that there is mass disaffection with uh, with his uh, with his administration, there are demonstrations taking place on a nightly basis, in terms of pop banging on balconies and so on. I mean, even I guess an important measure of this is that even his his supporters, and this is a, a, a measure of the political crisis that he finds himself in, even his supporters and the press, the media that would ordinarily be on his side, have absolutely have absolutely turned on him. Uh, I mean, if this investigation goes goes ahead, which it looks as though it it is going to. There's there's a high-profile video doing the rounds at the moment now, which he's trying to get, uh, which he's trying to stop from being shared around in in Brazil, but in which he directly calls for the sacking of the Rio federal police um, chief, who is investigating his sons, and it's a expletive-ridden uh, recording which led to the the resignation of the of the justice minister. Um, so. I mean, is he going to be impeached? That would be the next step. Probably not because the numbers aren't there to do that. But is the investigation going to go um, through the whole process and at the, at the one at the same time distra- uh, detract and distract from um, from the focus that everybody in Brazil should be having at the moment, which is, you know, the clear and present danger uh, of coronavirus? For sure. The, the, the parallels between Bolsonaro and his... Uh North American counterpart, Donald Trump, are quite startling, aren't they, really? You know, and you outlined it in those terms. Almost everything you've said so far, you can sort of point north uh, and you see a similar picture. Even actually, I mean, Fox News in the last couple of days distancing themselves from from Donald Trump uh, that has led him to sort of tweeting out and his dismay with uh, a once supportive arm of the of the, the press in America. Um, one one element that I suppose uh, uh, creates a point of departure from that is the healthcare system, which is um, has its issues in America, but is relatively robust. We've talked about the healthcare system in Sao Paulo in particular, John, um, and 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 how that is potentially days from being overwhelmed at this point. And and and, and as you you outline, actually, there are people being sent home with the virus because they can't cope. What are the people on the ground saying? And, and presumably that message isn't getting heard or anywhere near being heard. But but are they looking for help? Um, I mean, there is a general sense of um, despair uh, in and amongst, in particular, the poor communities um, in in these urban centres because coronavirus and COVID nineteen is disproportionately attacking them as well. I mean. Um, I was speaking to, to people on the ground over the course of today and yesterday and over the course of Rio's famous beaches, there are the wealthy sitting on beachside restaurants, you know, no social distancing, no face masks, etc. Not really worried about the situation. Um, and the death rate is 10 times higher in the, in the favelas and, and, and among indigenous communities. So for sure, it's, um, it's exacerbating and shining a light, I think, if you like, on, on existing levels of disparity across across the country and also we're saying which is you know what you began the question with is that a privatized healthcare system which is not really functioning in any way shape or form except for the richest in society so the richest that get it will then for sure have access to a ventilator but but other people um, won't and and that leads directly to some of the horrific um, images and videos that you and I have have spoken about before, in which you've got um, literally, uh, and I say that advisedly, the living and the dead sharing wards, uh, where you've got coronavirus infected patients um, in maternity 
room uh, waiting rooms along with pregnant mothers because hospitals don't know don't have the infrastructure uh, or state-run hospitals in particular don't have the infrastructure to know what to do with these people and have completely lost control and i'm not saying this is unprofessional on their part it's just the the perfect storm that's been thrown at them and have completely lost control of who's coming in who's going out who's in what bed who's alive and who's dead good lord what are the noises that those healthcare professionals are, are, are making, John? Are they are they reaching out for help? What are they saying? Yeah, I mean they're they're incredulous, really. I mean, you know, obviously, healthcare professionals necessarily are men and women of of science, and to hear what I mean, whether you like him or not, you know, whether you think he's a rogue politician or whether he handles government well or not, I mean, the fact is that um, his position and the mixed message that is coming out from uh, Bolsonaro's administration, not even the administration, just him and the, the state governors and his and his minister, his ministers are leading to us to a kind of a state of paralysis in the country, which means that nobody really knows what to do. And any, you know, anybody who's got access to a, to a camera or a camera phone and social media in, in Brazil is full of, and not just in Brazil, to be honest, is across Latin America. Mm. is full of, of healthcare professionals coming on, sharing videos saying, if you think this is fake, then this is what my last 24 hours has been like. These are the number of professionals who have been sick, who have died, the, the numbers of doctors who we don't have now in, in the hospitals. I mean, that's the other thing that's worth saying, that it's not just um, the fact that the hospitals are overrun. It's the fact that the medical, the healthcare professionals, their numbers have been decimated by the virus. So even where you've got a full where you've got a hospital, you know, physically functioning. It's not physically functioning because the people aren't there to man the posts. Mm, blimey. And, and how does, we'll head north more specifically to Mexico in a minute, uh, John, but how does the picture in Brazil compare to neighbouring countries in Venezuela, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, Argentina, Paraguay, etc.? Sure. So, so Brazil is, is the, I mean, obviously, as you said at the start of the, of the piece, now the third highest country, so way above any of the other countries in in the region coming up to 300,000 cases, um, nearly 20,000 dead. The next one, which is closest, is, is Peru, which has also completely lost control of the situation, 100,000 dead and so on. And then you've probably got a middling bracket with your Mexicos, your Ecuadors, your Chiles, which have your tens of thousands and varying death rates. I mean, you've got from Mexico, which has a 10% death rate, uh, 51,000, 5,000 dead, through to Chile, which actually has the same, more or less, rates of confirmed infections, but only 500 dead, essentially because it's got a much more developed 21st century healthcare system. And then you've got, I guess, in terms of the big countries in, in Latin America, you've got some countries that have ma actually managed to keep a lid on things. So Argentina um, has got managed to close its borders really early on, made a lot of news when that, uh, when that happened a couple of months ago now, and its confirmed cases are under 10,000 with, um, with 400 dead. And then you've got some countries which, whether you believe that they've completely circumvented the problem altogether or not is you know is a, is a case in point but your belizes your nicaraguas your venezuelas have under a have under a thousand cases confirmed which in a venezuelan context is just as well because if they didn't they'd be in all manner of difficulty uh, because of their, uh, their their zero functioning healthcare system and actually uh, in the media over the course of the last couple of days there's been uh, video and rumors that nicaragua are actually doing speed burials of of COVID cases in order to have them not reach the press and then giving them various other death certificates not related to it in order to to control those those numbers. The fact is, across the region, 
you've got a, a, a very varied, I think, picture in terms of, like we're saying, you know, exponentially Brazil coming up to 300,000 down to Belize, which has 18 cases. But for sure, the, the, the ways in which governments measure, I was speaking to somebody today actually who just said that basically you're looking at kind of prehistoric data collection systems here as well. So not only are they slow, but, but also they, uh, they're undercounting, and a lot of people don't trust the government and healthcare systems anyway. So they're just going to stay at home and, and not go and report these things, even if they have access to healthcare, which in a lot of rural spaces they just really don't. Sure, um, that is that is quite a fragmented, fractured picture that you paint there. And if if you were able to sort of point at, I mean, obviously government response is clearly critical. Brazil are, uh, are, are, are pointing towards that. If, if there are other factors that you can uh, point to that, that that are causing that disparity between somewhere like Argentina and Brazil, what would that be? I think it's that, um, I mean, when we when you and I spoke about this a, a couple of months ago and it was just reaching the region, you brought up the, the fact, which which is, which is absolutely correct, that Latin America has, has had the luck, if you like, to see this happening, spreading from China through Europe, through North America. So it's had time on its side. And some countries took this very seriously, like Argentina and closed its border straight away. But actually, Luis Mendeta, the previous health uh, minister in, in Brazil, has gone on record to say, initially, we didn't think it was going to reach us. I mean, actually, now, um, the first coronavirus, the first COVID death is now confirmed as being two months before we thought it was in Brazil, which also, you know, maybe it doesn't seem to be too too much of a big thing. But it is because it happened before carnival um, in the country, uh, which was, you know, which is a, a gathering of millions of people in a very small space, etc. Mm. So I think it is e- even even with everything going well for countries in the region, even with luck on their side, etc., and shutting things down on time, etc., controlling it, you know, modelling it correctly, it was going to look really difficult because of the infrastructural problems in the region but where you've got countries like brazil which haven't even attempted to deal with the situation certainly a presidential level then of course that um you know that that snowball accelerating down the slope at a at a rate of knots it, it's of course it was going to happen mm. let's head north into mexico john um where you have passed the peak uh, it seems or at least uh, it is believed that the peak was reached late last week uh, in terms of uh, the number of daily cases is that right is that bearing out a couple of days on do you think well they were very sort of speedily on record to say the authorities that they're at the peak that we were at the peak here uh, i mean the peak hasn't gone away and every day is, is increasing um still the the health minister here has said that in all probability the numbers of dead are eight times um what's being recorded and that's the health minister and investigations in mexico city have um in hospitals have registered three times the number of deaths that are that are being uh, that are being officially confirmed there. It's still not the you know not the rates of Brazil, but you for sure you have hospitals in and in particular urban big urban spaces like Mexico City, which are which are fundamentally fundamentally out of control. The key thing here now is is as um, as you mentioned a minute ago, is has the peak actually been reached or is it going to continue growing? In particular, because the, the government and the administration have now outlined that. Um, lockdown is beginning to end or has begun to end already in some municipalities. Uh, but over the course of the next couple of weeks, everything else is gonna, is gonna begin to open up again. So if, you know, if the, if that steep curve is still steep now, um, 
uh, as things open up again, then I can't see it flattening in in the short term for sure. So on what basis are things opening up again? I think it's purely because um, the economics of the situation in a country like Mexico can't keep things shut down for three months because they generate a whole series of parallel problems at the same time. I mean, I guess that's where, you know, not saying that Bolsonaro has makes a great deal of sense on any on any given day, but I guess where he has a point is, and, and a number of politicians in the region have a point, he, when they talk about economics is that already there's, um, the, the countries are starting from a really low base and, and a day-to-day, hand-to-mouth economic system where families, even if they go out and work, you know, all the hours of the God-given day themselves, their wife, their kids and so on, they barely have enough to scrape together to, to feed the family anyway. So you move, you put three months of lockdown into that context and, if, and of course this is generating a whole parallel um, disaster zone, I think. I don't think that's too heavy to use economically in terms of um, in terms of people who just do not have the wherewithal to get through to get through the day and and that's as far as i can see that is the only reason why things are opening up again economically is because kind of they have to because otherwise um just a whole different level of problem um is gonna well not is going to has already entered the system yeah that is an issue that the world is grappling with as well, John, isn't it? That uh, that that tussle really is uh, is yeah, not unique. Yeah, UN said today. No, the UN said today, sixty, uh, probably another sixty million in in poverty over the course of the next uh, couple of months, as as far as their current measures go. And with that, uh, the the border between the United States and Mexico, further north in Canada as well, has had its restrictions extended. I think until the twenty uh, second of June. Just paint the picture, uh, John, uh, about the uh, who, who can and can't come across that border, if anybody at the moment. What what do those restrictions mean exactly? I mean, the Canada-U.S. Uh, border is, to all extents and purposes, shut, except for you know emergency traffic, etc., or, or movement of goods. Um, the border between Mexico and the U.S. is is more porous, and and we we've spoken before about these kind of secondary COVID effects that are taking place. Um, around, I mean, around the world, but also around Latin America. And what's interesting in, in a U.S.-Mexico border context is that actually um, there's a lot of Mexicans demonstrating and blockading roads south of the border because of the higher incidence in the U.S. and they don't want American citizens um, coming over and infecting uh, and infecting communities here. Oh, isn't, that, still, isn't that a turnaround? Um, a turnaround. <laughs> the yeah, tables have really turned. Is. <laughs> Um, and it's also a really complex space because, it, th- I mean, that border is a lot more porous than we think of it. I mean, there's a lot of dual citizens, uh, citizens with, with, um, with dual residency who live on one side and cross over to work on the other. So, so they're very symbiotic, um, those spaces. And that's certainly, I mean, kids who cross over to go to school on one side of the border, etc. Um, so that's for sure complicated things. There's a lot more in the way of restrictions. Um, on the border at the moment, but they're definitely not um, completely uh, shut by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it's, it's still fairly open. Where there's been some noise recently is the U.S. administration putting a lot of pressure on these what they call maquilas, which are like um, textile factories, industries just south of the border um, in, in, in Mexico that um, because of cheap labor, 
that produce a lot of material that immediately gets sent um, across the border to to the U.S. And those uh, have been shut down for the last few months. So the U.S. administration is putting a lot of pressure on the Mexican administration for those to start up again now. But obviously there's a problem there because you've got thousands of people working in very small spaces uh, making stuff to, to send up. So so that's kind of the flashpoint that, that's taking place there as as things stand. Um, but the U.S. is, is not um perhaps ironically closed to mexico in the same way as it is closed to um to flights from europe as it has been for a little while now and hailstones as well john we, we've seen some news today about uh, mega hailstones in uh, in mexico i've got some pictures over here i don't know whether these are this is anything you've come across so you've uh, you've had you've encountered yourself but but um my god they are absolutely huge <laughs> these hailstones yeah. referred to as an act of god i guess yeah, well, it's, um, I mean, I think anything now, you know, a, a cat winking at you as it crosses the street is taken as an act of God. But we're, <laughs> yeah. we're about a month away from the rains here. And at this time of year, a bit like tornadoes in the southern US, you get, um, the odd storm, which builds up and doesn't really know what to do with itself. And, and as a result, it doesn't tend to rain, but it, but it hails. Um, you, here, I mean, you, you get pictures of that. You know, fairly regularly at this time of year. It's not n- news in that sense, but you, but the photos are still massively impactful. And they do cause a lot of, um, a lot of damage in, in these, in these contexts as well. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it did make the news. It will continue to make the news. Uh, but for sure, nothing, um, completely out of the ordinary. Although over the course of the last few years, probably the last 15 years or so, the, the scale and impact of these storms has in, increased in a, in a climate change context. I mean, these, the, the size and scale you didn't see, say, in the late 90s in the way that you do now. They also look like coronavirus. That's what a lot of people are pointing out. They look like the, uh, <laughs> the image impression that we have of, uh, of, of coronavirus, the sort of jagged edges. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, coronavirus was deliberately designed to look like a sort of a Doctor Who-ish, I think, malevolent virus. That's what I, uh, but where is the doctor when you need her? No, exactly. Quite, quite, John. That is the question. Um, nice to talk to you as ever, my friend. Nice to uh, hear you're safe and well, and we'll catch up soon. Take care of yourself, all right? Take it out. John Bonfang, the Alforos in Latin America and Mexico, with that uh, startling picture of Brazil and a, f- a fragmented picture of Latin America at large as well. We'll keep an eye on that part of the world for you, as we do. Speaking uh, of international, after three this morning, we're going to head to China and